You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for September 2018. Today's episode is titled, Wealth More Valuable Than Money. The correct measure of organizational success is not temporal wealth, but true wealth. Wise managers understand that temporal wealth, money, is a tool. It is an asset to be stewarded for a higher purpose. The higher purpose is alignment with the will and ways of God. Money should be used to acquire true wealth. For example, use money to build a stellar reputation. True wealth is seen in the quality of the stakeholders and the excellence of their value proposition. An excellent value proposition will reflect values that are important to God and bless those the organization is called to serve. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Wealth More Valuable Than Money. Well, good morning. We want to talk about uh, financial management today. In particular, we're going to talk about riches more valuable than money, which uh, many of us think that. How could that be? How could there be any riches more valuable than money? Well, Scripture tells us there are riches more valuable than money. And so we want to get a, a sense of that today. So as a starting point, we have to recognize what money really is. And first and foremost, worldly wealth is a very deceptive thing. It's easy to be deceived. In fact, it's probably by far the easiest thing that I have seen in life to be deceived with. Because most of us, we live our lives focused on money and making financial decisions. No matter what it is that we're doing, it always seems to be weighed in terms of the cost. What's the cost? Or how much money can I make doing this thing? So always there's a financial aspect, it seems, to every decision. So here's a text in Revelation chapter 3 that I think gives us a good sense of how to view money more correctly. This is uh, Jesus speaking to the church at Laodicea, which is one of the early churches that we have some documentation on how Jesus viewed that particular church. And this church appeared to be full of very wealthy people. Uh, They were very likely in the pharmaceutical business, perhaps the garment business, um, and, you know, maybe even the the jewelry business. Uh, They they were very familiar with some very nice things and had accumulated some wealth. And so they had a perspective based on that wealth accumulation that Jesus was not happy with. In fact, um, he called them lukewarm. And the reason that he called them lukewarm and that is a pejorative term. That's not a good term. He did, in fact, he said he wanted to spit them out of his mouth. That was a kind of a metaphor, an imagery to, uh, that you might uh, you know, get from having a warm beverage in your mouth like warm coffee, which most people don't like. And if they got warm coffee, they would spit it out. Uh, people you know, might like cold coffee or hot coffee, but they don't like warm coffee. Well, that's kind of the imagery that Jesus is employing here to tell you what he thinks of lukewarm people. And then he explains to them what it is that makes them lukewarm. And what makes them lukewarm in this particular case, and this is not necessarily the only way you become lukewarm, but this is a way you can become lukewarm, is if you think that your money is the solution to the problems of life. So notice what he says in Revelation 3, 17 through 18. You say, that is Jesus is saying that the Laodiceans say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. So he's saying that this is your own profession. This is your own worldview. You think you're a pretty cool cat. You got money. You can take care of whatever problems you have. So you don't need anything. 
And then he says, but. And when Jesus says, but, you know that the shoe's about to fall and you're going to get a reality check. You're living actually in unreality. He said, but you do not realize, that is, you are deceived, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, that's a really, really strong comment. And most of us, if you stop and think about it, um, you know, you wouldn't say that to wealthy people, particularly if you're in a church context and you wanted them to show up at your church meetings and to tithe, you wouldn't say these kinds of things, which is why many church leaders probably wouldn't say these today. But Jesus had no problem saying it at all because that represented truth. That represented reality. Because worldly wealth is only temporal. It's only temporal. It's only here, that here and now that we can use it. It has no value outside of this existence. And that's why it is, it is deceptive, because we seem to think it's really important. But in the eternal scheme of things, worldly wealth is only useful here and now, and it should be used to get true wealth, which does transcend this existence. So we have to get it that it's really hard for us to get past that reality. Well, some, there, we're not the only people that have faced this thing. Many Christians have faced the temptation of money, and many have uh, actually gained some victory over it. So here's some, some examples of, some, of wise men who've really been able to uh, gain some victory in their view over money. This is John Wesley. He said, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. Well, that's a, that's a very, very wise man there, recognizing that money is only temporal. It cannot, doesn't have eternal value. And then we have Jim Elliott, the famous missionary. Uh, he said, I place no value on anything I possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. He saw everything in relationship to God, and that included money. And finally, David Livingston, another famous missionary, the one to South Africa, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So David Livingston was a big believer in what I call trading up. That is trading temporal wealth, worldly wealth, to gain true wealth. That is the wealth that transitions or transcends this existence. Well, a text that just reminds us of the temporal nature of, of worldly wealth is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So he makes a very obvious, clear conclusion from general revelation. He says, You know, when you came into the world, you had no money. When you leave, you won't take any money that you might have accumulated with you. You leave it behind. So he's saying, You get real. You know, money is a temporal tool, it's, it has no value other than in this existence. And of course, the real value of money in this existence is not to make us comfortable or convenient or being prosperous. The real value of money in this existence is a tool to trade up to true riches to eternal wealth. See, eternal wealth transcends this existence. So notice what Matthew 6 says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there he's telling you, you know, you want to save something, you definitely want to save eternal wealth. Now, this does not mean you don't save temporal wealth. You do, and you do, and you should save temporal wealth. But you need to see it as temporal wealth. It's not eternal wealth. Eternal wealth is wealth that transcends this existence, has value for eternity. So some characteristics of true wealth, eternal wealth, are it cannot be stolen, it cannot be destroyed, and it's stored in heaven. So let me just give you some examples of true wealth. These are examples that Scripture either explicitly or implicitly suggests are more valuable than money. We should be using money in whatever way we can to trade up. Now, in some cases, you can't do that. For example, the first, my first example here is eternal life. Well, you can't use money to buy eternal life. That isn't possible. But eternal life is, a, is the most valuable treasure of all. It's the most valuable gift of all. There's nothing more valuable than this. And so here's an example of somebody who's trying to use money to pay, buy eternal life. But this is one, one uh, uh, as example of eternal wealth or, or, or wealth that transits this existence that cannot be bought with money. Luke 18, verses 18 through 22 says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And then the man says, All these things I've done since I was a boy, he said. Jesus heard this and said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And, of course, he couldn't do that because he was a very rich man, and he put a lot of value on his temporal wealth. And he didn't understand that what Jesus was asking him to do is demonstrate to me that true wealth is more important than temporal wealth. You can't buy eternal life, but you can demonstrate that you value eternal life more than you value money by doing this one act. And, of course, the man could not do that. So eternal life is the first and foremost example of wealth that's more valuable than money. Well, the next example is wisdom. Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 14 says, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she's more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Related to this is knowledge. Proverbs 20, verse 15 says, Gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are rare jewel. If you're going to speak knowledge, you have to have knowledge. You have to possess it. And so he's saying here, this is more valuable than gold or rubies. Knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are very closely related. Knowledge is an understanding of how the universe works. And wisdom is then the skill to use that knowledge to live well, to make right choices in God's universe. The next example is good works. And this is confusing to us because the Greek definition of good works is different from English. In English, we think good works are things like helping an old lady across the street or, or volunteering to be uh, in the parking lot patrol at church or being a Sunday school teacher. Those are good works to us. No, the, the Greek word for work is a general word that applies to all work activities. So good works in the Greek language 
or refers to all works, and good being a, a divine attribute means all works need to be aligned with God. So this is a, a command to do everything in alignment with the will and ways of God. Or in other words, to always live in every way according to a biblical worldview. So here's the text in 1 Timothy 6. It says, command those who are rich in this present world, that is those who have money, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, that is to work good from the heart, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, the works that we do here are not to gain life. They reflect that, we, that life is in us, and they reflect that we know Christ and we walk with him. They're a part of the way that we obey, obey Christ, and live according to the will and ways of God in every area of life. So those are good works, and we need to learn how to live in the reality of good works. Okay, the next one is a prophet that transcends. That is, there is prophet that transcends this existence. So here's an example of this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, or excuse, start in verse 5, rather. I'm going to read 5 and 6 and then 12 and 13. He's talking about Paul uh, himself and Apollos is laying the foundation of Christ in people. He's planting a seed. Apollos watered it. God made it grow. And then he says, verse 12, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid. That is, Christ is the foundation for living a sound life in every way. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each, each man's work. So here, in this example, gold and silver represent eternal or, or transcendent truth or transcendent wealth, and wood, hay, and stubble represents you know, worldly wealth. So worldly wealth won't pass through the judgment, but what will pass through will be true wealth that which God truly values, that has eternal traits. So an example of that would be stewardship skills. Stewardship skills are an example of profit that transcends. So maturity in Christ is a big part of this. And that takes us really to the next one, which is character development or righteousness. And if we go back to our Revelation 3 text, um, I stopped after I read the deception part. So let me reread it again. Uh, the, Jesus, again, speaking to the Laodiceans, said, You say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Okay? Then he gives them counsel. Now, the counsel is going to be about how to trade up. I counsel to you to buy, trade up, from me, gold refined by fire, so that you, not, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness will not be seen. We'll see white garments speak of righteousness. And of course, the reason that we're in shame before God is because of the fall of man. When Adam and Eve fell, the first thing it says of them is they were ashamed. And they tried to fix their shame with fig leaves, 
which illustrates that mankind always tends to try to work his way into God's acceptance, but God does not accept man's works. They can never be good enough. So God sent his own son to provide the basis for the garments that we needed. And Christ gives us those white garments by virtue of his work on our behalf on the cross. So white garments speaks of the righteousness of Christ that is given to us freely as a gift. as That is the essence of eternal life. But once you've come to Christ, then you begin to grow up in Christ. And character development begins to happen. You begin to change, to be transformed, to become more and more Christ-like in how you live. So this is why obedience is important. Obedience does not save us. Obedience reveals whether or not we are saved. So character development or righteousness is part of true wealth. Another part of true wealth is contentment, being content. Philippians 4 tells us that Paul learned a secret of life. And the secret is very simple. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's the secret. Being content, knowing that whatever it is that is going on in your life is exactly what needs to go on to teach you what you need to learn so you can do what you're called to do. And there's always provision to do what God has called you to do. He always takes care of his people. Now, sometimes it may not feel that way, it may not look that way, but that's, a, that's just deception. God is true to his word. He always takes care of us. So we have to learn to be content. That's true wealth. Another example of true wealth is, is truth. And going back to our Revelation 3 text, um, again, I want to read it again for emphasis. For you say, I'm rich, I prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. Pure gold. This is speaking of pure truth. Pure, pure wisdom, w uh, discipline, understanding, knowledge comes from Christ. Colossians 2 tells us that Christ is a repository of wisdom and knowledge. We must go to Christ to find this wisdom and knowledge. This is priceless. If you don't go to Christ, you will have very limited wisdom and knowledge. It will never be profound. Uh, continuing on with this same text, we'll go to the next trait of true wealth, and that is metaphysical awareness. This is the ability to see from God's perspective. And so reading on in Revelation 3, 17 through 18, we just read that Christ counseled them to buy gold refined by fire so that they may be rich and white garments so that they may be clothed themselves. So you, may, you want truth, you want wisdom and knowledge, and now you want righteousness, character, righteousness, godly character. And then he says, and to buy salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This is the ability to see truth. Most of us see facts. We see things in the tangible. Those are facts. But we don't really see the truth. The truth is, what do the facts mean? What do they stand for? What's the significance of those facts? What is God's intent? about those facts. We live on the fact level, the natural level. God lives on the truth level, and our challenge is to move up to the truth level. 
and that requires metaphysical awareness. You see, the Laodiceans didn't see reality well. They lived on the fact level. And Jesus is talking to them from the truth level. You think you're rich and you don't need anything. That's your fact. But the reality is you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Because you don't understand your creator and how he works and you're not living lined up with him. You're living as a unredeemed pagan person who claims to be a Christian. So that's where he's, he's making this point here that's so powerful that they don't have the greatest wealth of all. They have temporal wealth. They don't have true wealth. And one aspect of true wealth is metaphysical awareness. Another aspect is truth. Another aspect is righteousness, godly character. Well, moving on. Another trait or example of true wealth is genuine faith. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7 gives us an example of this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, and your faith, the word faith here stands for your worldview, your view of reality, what you think is true. Your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may prove to be genuine. It's real. That is, your faith, is your faith true or are you deceived in your worldview? Is your worldview focused on the fact level or is your worldview focused on the metaphysical level, the truth level? And so genuine faith is sees things from God's perspective. And God uses trials and tribulations to transform our worldview from a worldly perspective into a godly perspective. That's, that's priceless. That's a gift. And so now we have to suffer for a little while. Griefs and all kinds of trials and tribulations. God is using that to trade, enable you to trade up. You're trading worldly thinking, worldly assets for the real assets of eternity. So that's what genuine faith is all about. If you don't have genuine faith in Christ, then you have you don't have faith in Christ. Your faith is in something else other than Christ, and you don't have eternal life and all the benefits that go with it. So this is critical that you see the importance of genuine faith and how that is part of true wealth. Another aspect of true wealth, a characteristic of it, is respect and reputation. Proverbs 11:16 says, a kind-hearted woman gains respect, but ruthless men only gain wealth. So you can see here that respect, reputation are more important than wealth. Proverbs 22:1 says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Respect and reputation you can't buy them. You have to earn them. You earn them through how you live. And so you trade your time and your talent and your treasure and your technology, whatever technology uh, human you have, you trade these things to gain a great reputation. You, you use things properly. You use your time properly. You use your talent properly. You use your wealth properly. And you use your technology properly in a way that honors God, and you will build a great reputation. And that is far more valuable than any tangible wealth you could accumulate.
And the final trait I want to point out here this morning is generational transfer. This is real wealth. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So this, the, the, this verse is telling us here that a good man, that is a man aligned with the will and ways of God, leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now that inheritance is, is twofold. There's an inheritance of the heart, and then there's a tangible inheritance. So there's a, a mandate on us to think big picture long term. To think about what is God going to do in my children's life, in my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, what role do I have to play, both in terms of passing on my heart and passing on resources to them to, for them to be able to do what they're called to do. Just like David is the one who had the heart to build the temple and was charged to put together the resources and the manpower and the plans and everything, so when he passed, all that went to Solomon, Solomon executed what his father put into place. And so when you begin to see that's how God works, you begin to realize, wait a minute, whatever assets God's giving me, it's not just for me. It's for something greater than me. But see, if I don't think like that, I will become like the sinner. And I will be storing up my wealth for me. And what God is saying in this text, the second part of Proverbs 13:22, is that the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous, meaning that sinner, that person who doesn't think multi-generationally, don't worry, God will reallocate your wealth. Because you didn't do it well, he will do it another way. Because he wants us to learn to think multi-generationally, to accumulate tangible temporal wealth for multi-generational purposes. That is true wealth. If you use temporal wealth just for you and your purposes, then that is, you're living on the fact level. You're living like a pagan. That is not godly thinking. That is not real wealth. And that will not go well. So these are examples, 12 examples of true wealth, wealth more valuable than money, more valuable than tangible temporal wealth. So now I've got a true wealth test. And this is 11 statements, and I want to read them off to you and let you consider each statement and write down how well you agree with each statement. And you can use a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 means absolutely no, I do not agree at all, and 10 is just say absolutely yes, I totally agree. Now here's the catch here. Don't do it based on what you know. Do it based on how you live. Look at your life. And try to be honest. And this is hard. Self-analysis is always hard. Uh, if you want to get a real honest assessment, get someone who knows you well to do it for you, like your wife or some good friend who will, who will not be afraid to tell you the truth. But you need to honestly assess, do I really live in the realities of these statements? So I'm going to read them to you. You give yourself a score from 0 to 10, and then you add it up, and you divide by 1.1 to get your normalized score. So first statement. My singular consideration in every decision is the will of God rather than money. My singular consideration in every decision is the will of God rather than money. Next one. I always trade up using money to acquire knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. I generously give T4 to support alignment with the will of God in the lives of others. And T4, you know, from my other teaching, stands for your time, 
your talent, your treasure, and the technology that you have. You see, you have a level of technology that God has given you, an understanding of how the world works well, particularly relative to technical things. And so that's part of what you have to steward. So I generously give my time, talent, treasure, technology to support alignment with the will of God in the lives of others. Next one, I invest T4 in helping others find and fulfill the purpose of God. Next one, my character is never sacrificed for money. Character is always more important than money. Next one, I am never anxious about money. There's always enough to do the will of God. Next one, worldly wealth without true wealth, that is without stewardship skills, will lead to poverty. That's a big one. Worldly wealth without true wealth will lead to poverty. That's a reality. That's why the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. That sinner's wealth, he didn't do it multi-generationally, so the end of his wealth is poverty for him and those in his line. See, because God took that, will take that wealth and reallocate it to the righteous some way. Yeah, that's a hard one, isn't it? Next one, metaphysical awareness is the ability to see truth. That is reality from God's perspective. Next, I value trials and tribulations as a means to build faith. That is true wealth in me. I always sacrifice money to build a great reputation. A great reputation is earned, not bought. And the last statement is, I accumulate worldly wealth to help future generations align with the will and ways of God. Add up your score, and um, if you gave yourself a 10 on every one of those, um, you, will get, you will score 110, and then you can divide that by 1.1, and your last score would be 100. And if you've got 100, uh, please let me know because uh, we want to send you on a tour of the world laying hands on people and praying over people. Because I don't know of anyone in my life that, I, or at any point in my life, including myself, that would score 100 on this. This is such a high standard that it is very, very challenging for anyone, everyone, no matter who you are. Well, may the Lord give us grace to face the truth of the word and to value temporal wealth the way God does and to value true wealth the way God does and therefore to live, to live with great metaphysical awareness about financial resources. May we have that grace in Jesus' name. Amen.